brings our chaos back into order. Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory. Who rules the nations with truth and justice? Shines like the sun in all of his brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all.
Thank you for this incredible day, Lord, just a, a day that we can celebrate and praise your name for who you are, for your glory and your honor and your power. And so, Father, as we baptize Miss Kaylee uh, this morning, Lord, we just pray as she gives testimony to your being a God who gives life, Lord, uh, to those who are dead, who turns our graves into gardens. We pray that you will receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Kaylee's going to come on. I think. I hope. Just a second. We changed up the order of service a little bit. Are you ready there, girl? Come on. There we go. Told her I would help her come down these steps so that nobody, there we go. All right, so this is Miss Kaylee. Come up a little bit. Um, and so she has given her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she is wanting to follow him in believer's baptism. Amen, amen. 
But before we do that, I know you got some family, maybe some friends who are with you this morning. So if you came this morning to support Miss Kaylee, would you please stand? Family, friends, there we go, over there. And then, of course, Mama's back here. Um, and so, look, your family, your friends have been praying for this day. Church family has been praying for this day. And so it's awesome that we get to be part of that. So I have a question for you. And if this is true, just respond with yes. Caleb, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Awesome. All right. Now, based upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So you've been able to see a picture this morning of what it looks like when somebody follows Jesus, right? The infant stages. You begin with baptism, and then the rest of your life, you continue to grow and learn. And as many of you know, there may be highs and there may be lows. And one thing we've been trying to do over the last several months is we want you not only to see pictures of life change, but we want you to hear stories. Stories from people's lives and their walk with Jesus. And so this morning, Miss Barbara is going to come and she is going to share her story of the Lord's grace in her life. I made a profession of faith when I was 12 years old. And that day, as I walked home from church, I was amazed that cars were not stopping, people were not staring. Because I was different, and I was amazed that other people just didn't see it. I was baptized a few weeks later. In fact, I was baptized the same night that my mother was. I got baptized a couple of minutes before she did. Mine was not the take your child to church type family. Mine was the send your child to church family. My parents went on Christmas and on the times when my brothers or I did something special. But I was there every time that church door was open. I was in Sunday school, training union, GAs, which we called Girls Auxiliary back then. I joined the choir, and I even stayed after worship service to straighten up and put back the hymnals and everything in preparation for the evening service. I admired one older couple. It was Mr. and Ms. Sutherland. They were always in church together. I told God, I wanted a husband like that. I wanted to sit in church and fill the entire pew with my family. When I was 14, we moved to a different city. There wasn't a church within walking distance and it soon became very difficult to find rides, so I stopped going. I hung with kids that had less than stellar reputations. I didn't do all the things they did. I got good grades. I didn't do drugs, but I will admit a fondness for cheap wine. I didn't sleep around like the rest of the girls. I didn't get into a lot of mischief, and only once did I skip school, and I got caught then. <laughs> I felt different from them, but you know, they trusted me, and they watched out for me. It never occurred to me that people could or would judge someone based on what they thought they saw. I was the same person that I had been for years. I said all of my prayers, and I still believed God was with me in everything I did. 
I was different from the kids I ran with. Even they said I was different. That's why they protected me. I didn't do bad things, but I knew people who did. But people do judge, and maybe church people are the worst at it. I remember one Sunday, my friends wanted to go to the lake, but I wanted to go to church that morning. So I talked four or five of them into going to church with me. We walked up to the building and the pastor met us at the door, and I'll never forget his words. He said, if you're here to cause trouble, we don't want you. I stood shocked, but we stayed. We sat in the balcony pretty much to ourselves, but no one welcomed us. No one even said a word to us. They were very obvious that they didn't want a group of rowdy teenagers defiling their precious space. I never did get my friends to go back with me again, and I didn't go for a long time after that. But I prayed regularly, and I thanked God for his help and his protection, and at the same time, I put myself in a lot of questionable situations, sometimes downright dangerous ones. My mama used to say I didn't have sense enough to know when to be afraid, and maybe she was right. But I assumed God would pretty much rubber stamp whatever I thought to be right, sort of like a protective bubble around me because I was a baptized Christian. I married a man that I had known from grade school, and suffice it to say, just because you grow up knowing someone does not mean you should marry them. Turns out my husband was a drug user, something I did not see before we were married. He would cash his paycheck on the way home and buy drugs and then give me whatever was left over to pay the mortgage and buy groceries. Worse, he was abusive, both emotionally and physically. During this time, I reached out for God's help and I searched my Bible, but you know, my husband was able to use those scriptures against me, you know, like the one that says, wives submit to your husbands. Every time I tried to leave, he stopped me. I was finally able to escape after three and a half years and I instantly became a single mother. I changed jobs and I found a church home where I came to terms with divorce and single parenthood. I knew God had rescued me and I was now content in my life. Two weeks into my new job, I overheard part of a conversation when a new guy checked in. Something about mm, the Navy screwing up his orders, never had a CB on board. They just weren't sure what to do with him. But he had been assigned to the Admiral staff. And if you know the Navy, you know what the Admiral wants, the Admiral gets. I learned that he was single and that we actually had a lot in common. Neither of us was interested in marriage, so it was safe to become good friends. And we were until he transferred three months later. One evening in 1980, it hit me that I always made a decision and then asked God to help me with it. I was so ashamed. I hid in my bedroom for more than two hours and I prayed and I cried. I had a heart to heart with God and the tears fell. I made promises that evening, which will always be between just me and God, but one thing I can tell you 
is I vowed to stop asking God to rubber stamp my decisions and start asking him his will before I did something. When I made that promise, there was a great peace and calmness that came over me. Later that spring, I married that CB whose orders were messed up by the Navy. He sits with me in church, as did my children and now my grandchildren. It hasn't always been easy. My husband was gone for nine to 12 months at a time. And we aren't rich, but we always have enough. But the good has far outweighed the bad. God is my confidant now. And sometimes I can even see where things he permitted to happen actually prepared me for something that happened later in life. Looking back at my life before 1980 is like watching a movie about somebody else. I've learned that God may keep you safe and actually protect you from yourself, but life is much more peaceful if you just let him guide you. I don't always get it right, but I keep trying. Life is a journey, and I simply cannot imagine traveling that journey without God's guidance. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so aware of your wondrous grace to us. But Lord, as we look back, Lord, as your word says, how you formed us in my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. And Lord, we praise you for that wonderful testament of Miss Barbara. We thank you for her family, Lord, her children, her grandchildren. We thank you for what you have done, and Lord, we praise you. We thank you that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, so we praise you for the wonderful work you have done in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us and guide us as we continue in our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Anybody else in here thankful for the goodness of God? Will you just praise God for a minute? Will you just praise God for a minute? Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way to Children's Church. Everyone else will turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And that is not a typo. Lana said, man, you preaching verse 18 again this morning? I said, yes, I am. I said Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a whole lot more 
sermons on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 that I am. And so um, men have written books, thousands and thousands of pages just on these verses here. We talked last week about how we are walking and living in a war zone. I remind you what Paul says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he uses that word, that word walk multiple times, right? And then when we come to Ephesians 6, we realize that we are walking, living out this Christian life in a war zone. It is a spiritual war. We are to put on the armor of God. We are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we are to pray, pray, pray. And in our prayers, we are to pray. As Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. At a meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Bobby Richardson, former New York Yankee second baseman, Heard this illustration many times, a well-known prayer, right? He offered up this brief and to-the-point prayer when he said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. As we fight the spiritual battle in the strength of the Lord, it should be our desire that in all things, our prayers, our decisions, our thoughts, our actions, our words, our circumstances, that God's will be done. Now what I want to consider this morning in our time are two temptations that everyone to some extent struggles with and wrestles with in this room that prevents us from praying, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come, and also prevents us from doing what Paul mentions And calls us to in the last part of verse 18. And those two things are to be self-reliant. The temptation to be self-reliant, that is dependent upon the self. Or the other temptation is to be self-centered. To be focused on the self. So if you have your copy of God's word, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Let's begin with verse 17, and then let's read through verse 20. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? And this is the Word of the Lord. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We looked at that last week. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's our text this morning. And then next week we'll see, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your word. Speak now, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Two temptations. Number one, the temptation to be self-reliant or self-dependent. So if your mentality in this spiritual warfare that you are in as a believer, a follower of Christ, if that's your mentality, right, then, then, then you're thinking something along this lines. Here I am in the spiritual war. I've got this. I don't need help. 
I'm more than capable of fighting this, of taking this head on. And if that's your mentality, then you will fail to heed Paul's words when he says in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert. That Greek word keep alert means look out for, be vigilant, or watch. Now everyone in this room knows the importance of paying attention, of being alert. Some of you have played baseball or you've watched your kids play baseball. One of the most nerve-wracking things as a parent, watching your kid, especially when they're younger, is when they're not paying attention and you are afraid the ball's going to be hit right to them. It's like, Lord, please don't let him hit it, Tim. Please don't let, it, let him hit the ball to Johnny. Like he's not even looking. Right? You've got to pay attention. I've coached a couple of seasons in upward soccer. If you're not paying attention, then when that ball's kicked to you, you will never score a goal. Because you're never going to know when the ball's coming to you. I know that from experience. I won't say his name, but he's not even paying attention. My little boy over there, right? We know the importance when a doctor is performing surgery that he or she not just stayed at a Holiday Inn, though that would help, right? But that they actually pay attention. That they, that they know what they're doing and that they're alert when they are operating on you. We know the importance when you're driving a vehicle. Don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive. The point is you need to be alert and you should let nothing distract you from paying attention. We know the importance, and I better get an amen on this one, that when your pastor is preaching, you pay attention. Amen. amen. There we go. Right? We know the importance. And many of you know the importance when you are a soldier and you are in enemy territory, you better always be alert. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Mark 13, said, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Now, the time he's referring to is the time when the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will come back. And he says to the disciples, You don't know when, but stay alert. Be ready. Stay awake. Hear me, church. The return of Christ is going to come unexpectedly. Jesus isn't going to tell you, Hey, I'm coming tomorrow, so you better be alert. On another occasion, Jesus, when he's praying in the garden, he's got his inner circle group of men, right? Peter, James, and John. And he says to them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, did they watch and pray? No, they kept falling asleep. And then so Jesus says to them, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Hear me, brothers and sisters, temptation comes to you unexpectedly. Satan's not going to call you up on the phone and say, hey, just giving you a heads up next Tuesday at 10 a.m., I'm coming for you. You better be ready. Right? It, it comes unexpectedly. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You and I need to be alert. So here's the question Are you alert? Are you being vigilant against your sin? Staying awake and sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Staying alert to the need for prayer. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think would be more alert between these two people? A security guard at Kroger or a soldier keeping watch in Afghanistan? Now God bless that security guard at Kroger. 
He's got a job to do, and it's important. But he will not be near as alert as the soldier in Afghanistan. Why? Because he's on the front lines. He's in the thick of danger. If you, and some of you know this, if you are in a war zone, alertness is essential. Church, you are in a war zone. You are in spiritual warfare. You are in a fight. Satan is not going to stop. He's not going to let up on you or your family or people that you are praying for. So you better be alert. You better be ready for war. You better pay attention. John Phillips writes, Watching sights the enemy. Watching sights the enemy. Praying fights the enemy. You better not fight in your own strength or you will lose every time. You fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you better be alert. You better watch to say, hey, this is where I'm weak. This is where I see Satan at work. This is how he's tempting me. This is what he's doing. I see Satan at work in my wife or in our church. I see him drawing people away. We have to be alert. We have to know where he is attacking. He goes on to say, keep alert with all perseverance. The Greek word for perseverance means to continue doing something with intense effort, to be steadfast, constant, to persist in. Psalm 130, verse 6 says, My soul waits for the Lord. The Bible talks a lot about waiting upon the Lord. The psalmist says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. So you would have watchmen, and they would have certain hours that they would be on watch, that they would be on duty, and they're there in the middle of the night, and no doubt they are wishing and waiting for the sun to rise. But they couldn't rush that moment. There's nothing that they could do in their power that would make the sun rise sooner than when God has ordained for it to rise. And so they watch and they wait. And the psalmist says, more than that, our soul waits for the Lord. Oh, it's hard to wait. Amen? Anybody else struggle with waiting? To some extent, in the flesh, right, we all struggle with that. So out of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Right, this is a work that the Spirit of God has to do in us to cause us to be patient. It is hard to wait. It has always been hard to wait, but it's getting harder to wait in our instant society. I remember to date myself a little bit back in the mid-90s, um, when I was a teenager and we would go to youth camp, we did not have cell phones. Anybody in here, raise your hand if you remember a time when there was no cell phones. Raise your hand. You young whippersnappers, look around. We know what it's like not to have a cell phone. And sometimes I wish we could go back to those days. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes. So we would go to camp and um, parents couldn't communicate with us through text message. However, they could write a letter. And so every morning in our morning worship rally, they would call your name if you got a letter in the mail. So you were waiting and anxious to hear your name. Maybe it was Tuesday. Maybe your parents forgot. You didn't get it till Thursday morning or Friday morning when it was time to go home. But you were hoping that letter was coming. You had to wait. Now, we don't wait to communicate. You send that message. If you have an iPhone, you send it. And if you don't see delivered pop up, you start getting anxious. Like, what's going on? Why is it this going, Right. And then if they don't respond within 30 seconds, you're like, oh my goodness, did they not get my message? Right, this instant, everything is instant. We have forgotten what it's like to wait. 
We want God, when we pray, to answer all our prayers instantly. God, don't you hear me? Aren't you going to answer me right now? But think about this. If God always answered your prayers instantly, and he always gave you what you wanted, what would your prayers turn into? They would turn into self-indulgent prayers, in which all we ever prayed was for ourselves and our own needs and wants, if God answered everything in the affirmative and immediately. But hear me, and this goes back to where I started about the will of God. You and I pray not to change God's will. Hear me. Our point in praying is not to manipulate and change the will of God, but rather it is to bring our will in harmony with His. We pray, God, I want your will to be done in all circumstances, in all situations, whatever it may be, however hard it may be in that moment to pray, God, what is your will? That's what I want to be done, and we wait on Him. And sometimes... In order for our will to be brought into harmony with the will of God, it requires that we wait upon the Lord. Because guess what happens as we wait? We learn in our waiting to be more reliant and dependent on Him and less reliant and dependent upon ourselves. Because there's nothing we can do in the moment, and so we are trusting in God. Brian Chappell, in his book, writes, Persistent Prayer... Persistent prayer, that's what Paul's talking about here, makes us more Christ-like by tempering our human selfishness and by strengthening our divine dependence. Divine dependence. So persevering in prayer, staying alert, causes you to be less dependent upon self and more dependent upon God. So I wonder this morning, how many of you, that's your struggle? You would say, Pastor, in my prayer life, the reason my prayer life is lacking or it's not powerful is because I'm really just trusting in myself. I'm struggling with pride. I think I've got this. I'm managing this. I'm in control. I like to be in control. But what the Lord is teaching us, what He's reminding us is you are never in control. He is. So stay alert. Keep on praying and trusting and asking for the Lord's will to be done in your life. Stay alert. But then there's the second temptation, and this is what Brian refers to when he says persistent prayer makes us more Christ-like by tempering our human selfishness. The second temptation is not to be self-reliant where you're dependent upon self, but it is to be self-centered in your prayer life. You're not dependent upon self, but the only thing you're praying for is yourself. So what does Paul say? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that is, offering up prayers, offering up petitions for all the saints. Self-centeredness keeps us from praying for others. When we are self-centered, our life, our prayer life, becomes about me, myself, and I. Everything we're praying is about us. So, two questions. Number one, are you praying for others are you faithfully consistently praying for others first timothy 2 1 says first of all then i urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people you're like whoa paul you sure you mean all people yes he means all people that all people are the very people right now that you're thinking man i don't want to pray for them 
I don't like praying for them. They've hurt me. They've wronged me. I really don't care if bad things happen to them. No, those are the people that you are to be praying for. But in our text, he narrows it from all people to all the saints. Now you say, well, who are the saints? Those are like the Catholic Church, the super religious people, right? No, the saints are the holy ones. Anyone who has given their life to Jesus. That's what he says in Ephesians 1.1. He's writing to those in Ephesus, and he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's saying you are to pray for fellow believers. 1 Samuel 12.23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. He recognizes that not praying for others would be a sin. Here's why it is so important that you and I pray for all the saints. And in this morning, I want that context. Next week, we're going to go beyond this church. But this morning, I want you to understand the importance of praying for each other. We're the saints, the brothers and sisters. Why do you need to pray for one another? Because all believers are engaged in spiritual warfare. Every person in this room right now, you are in some sort of spiritual warfare. It could be Satan keeping you from following Jesus, and there's just this war going on in you. Or it could be you've given your life to Jesus, but Satan is attacking certain areas in your life. Individually, every single one of us is in a battle, but then individually we become a body of believers at Northside. You better believe Satan wants to attack Northside. Satan doesn't want Northside focusing on the Great Commission, focusing on seeing lost people saved. What we saw this morning, Satan hates. He doesn't want to see people give their life to Jesus and then be obedient and following Jesus. Ms. Barbara's testimony, Satan wants to work in our lives to draw us away so that we become resentful when the hard things happen in our lives rather than coming to the Lord over and over in prayer and just trusting in him even in the painful things of life. David Geddes writes, another thing to remember in the fight against Satan is that you're not the only soldier in the struggle. If you're a Christian, you're part of an army. You should care not just about yourself, but about your fellow warriors in the struggle against Satan. I love this, and I think this is so true. What happens to any part of the church affects the whole church. If you, brothers, sisters, succeed against Satan, it helps your fellow soldiers. You need to understand that. If they succeed, it helps you. If you fail, it hurts their position. And if they fail, it hurts your position in the army of God. He goes on to say, in the Lord's army, it's all for one and one for all. So when you pray, don't just pray for yourself. Pray for all who are working and fighting for the Lord along with you. Pray for one another. What would it look like, church, if every person at Northside was prayed for every single day? I mean, that we were going to war in battle against Satan on their behalf every single day. Listen, we pray. We pray for many reasons, ultimately because we want the will of God to be done. But we also pray because we have seen in our lives that the power of prayer is real. Amen? That the power of prayer, it's real. And some of you are going through things that nobody else knows about. Therefore, no one can pray for you. 
And then there are times we go through a circumstance in which everyone becomes aware of it, and the church rallies around you, and we pray. I want to give you an example of that. It was August 4th. On August 4th, early in the morning, I get a, a message from, from Kelsey. And one thing that we talked about in our last deacons meeting, somebody brought up, and I thought it was a great reminder, is especially when we're talking about kids that we only use first names rather than first and last names because we do have people watching online. So I'm going to really try to work on that, only using first names because you just never know who's watching online. And so Kelsey, hopefully you all know who I'm talking about, uh, her mom, Carol, Right, Kelsey texted me on the morning of August 4th. My mom is at the hospital. My dad took her headaches and throwing up. About 45 minutes later, I get another message from Kelsey that says, brain aneurysm, they are transferring her. At that moment, Pastor Gary and I knew this was serious, and so we rushed to the hospital. We get there right at the time that Kelsey and, and Tim are coming out, and, and we see the helicopter. And we see them take Miss Carol, and they take her to the helicopter as they're life-flighting her to Emory. We come back to the church, and then I get a message from Kelsey saying, The doctor called my dad, said she's in dire need, but they're working on her. At that moment, man, I knew just how serious it was. And so I got in the car, and after going to the wrong Emory Hospital first, only Kelsey and I know about that, and we ended up at the right one, right? And we're sitting there for hours just waiting. Because, because at that moment, if I'm honest, I didn't know if I'd ever get to talk to Miss Carol again. But by the grace of God, 18 days later, I get a text that said, she is coming home. She's coming home. I mean, yeah, praise the Lord for that. Now, now why, why am I sharing that? Because after the sermon last Sunday that was on prayer, the need for prayer, the power of prayer, Carol texted me and she just said, hey, listen, I'm not a public speaker, but it's long overdue that I just share a word of thanks and praise in front of my church family who in that moment and in those days went before the Lord and prayed. So Ms. Carol is going to come and we're going to hear just a testimony of God's power in her life um, as he did a work in her life. Travis, you got that one on for me? All right. All right, y'all. I don't do this. And I did not pay for this haircut. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for the prayers. Um, I truly believe I felt them. Even though I was uh, unconscious out of it, I truly believe I felt them. Um, I don't think I'd be here today if it wasn't for them. Um, I got to thank Aaron and Gary for coming immediately to be with Tim and Kelsey. Um, and after the ambulance, I remember going into the ambulance. I don't remember anything after that. It was days before I came to, and um, I have to especially thank Kelsey. She took over everything. She, they, she canceled their vacation. She spent her birthday in my hospital room. Um, she, made doctor's appointments, yada, yada. She did everything. Thank you, Booty. Um, the greatest Sunday school teachers, Kim and Carol, came. Jennifer, Janet. Uh, if I missed anybody, I'm sorry. And I had to thank Liz and Philip that came by the house and brought me a bunch of stuff I needed. Um, 
all the money y'all donated was a huge blessing because I didn't work for quite a while. And I have a list of everybody that donated. So I do know and uh, should have thanked y'all all personally, but I'm just not good at that stuff. Um, and the, the dinners. Y'all brought dinners for like two weeks. And it was, it was very much a blessing. Um, and I got to especially thank my husband, Tim, too. He stayed every night with me. And then he had the pleasure of keeping me in line while I was driving the nurses crazy towards the end because I had to get out of that place. I love you all, and I love Northside. And I have been here 15 years, and I would not want to be anywhere else but here. Thank you. Thank you all. power of prayer but are you praying for others when a need arises are you quick to go to the Lord and praying for them but here's the second question I want to ask you are you letting other people pray for you are you letting other people pray for you selfishness keeps us from praying for others but a self-dependent, self-reliant attitude, I'm good, I don't need prayer, keeps you from allowing other people to pray for you. Now, not every one of you is in a situation like Miss Carol was. Carol could have said, listen, I don't want anybody praying for me. I don't want anybody to know. In her situation, tough luck, we all knew what was going on. But right now, this morning, you could be going through something in your life that no one, including your own family, in this room knows about. Therefore, if they don't know, no one is going to the Lord on your behalf praying for you. Hear me. You need prayer. There is no one in this room, please hear me, who doesn't need people praying for you. You know how I know that? Because Jesus, who prayed often and modeled that for us, taught us how to pray. So if Jesus teaches us how to pray, obviously Jesus knows we're going to need prayer. But I also know that you need prayer because of what we read right here. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then Paul says, and also for me. Paul needed prayer. Paul's got two things on you and I that, you, that we don't have. Number one, he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. I have never seen Jesus in his resurrected form. Paul did, and he still said, I need prayer. But there's something else that Paul experienced that I've never experienced. Now, we can't say for certain it's Paul, but in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about this dude and this experience that he went through, and almost everybody thinks it's Paul. Because if Paul would have said, hey, it was me, that would have been bragging and that wasn't Paul. But Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven and he heard and saw things that he wasn't allowed to come back and tell us. No one in this room has been caught up into the third heaven. You have not seen Jesus. And if Paul had done those two things and still said, hey, yo, pray for me, then you and I need prayer. You and I need prayer. There is zero reason for you to struggle alone. Hear your pastor's heart. There is zero reason right now for you to try to walk through what you're going through alone, to fight it alone. 
The only reasons, and maybe you can think of re other reasons, but the two main reasons that I can think of right now why you would not open up and share what you're going through so that somebody could step into that gap and pray for you is either you've been honest with somebody before and they broke that trust. And if that was the case, I'm so sorry. That you got to the point where you felt vulnerable and you could trust somebody and they would betray that confidence. Shame on them. And they'll answer to God for that. But if you're struggling now, don't let what happened in the past keep you from opening up to somebody right now. Find somebody you can trust. I'm not saying you got to air all your dirty laundry. It's not what I'm saying. Find one or two people that you know you can trust, that you build a relationship with, that you can pour into. And if you say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with anybody, then let's see why that is. Why, why have you not developed a relationship to the point where you can share openly and honestly with someone else? And the other reason that we're not honest about what's going on in our life is the root of all sin, and it's pride. It's pride. Some of you right now, if you're honest, please don't tune me out because I believe God is speaking to your heart directly. You are struggling. You're drowning. You are struggling to hold on, and nobody knows. And the only reason you won't tell us is because you're too proud. Well, what are they going to think about me? I'm supposed to have my life together. I'm supposed to have all this stuff figured out. No, you're not. We are a family church. It is our responsibility to come alongside of you and to help you, to pray with you, to weep with you, to rejoice with you, to, to go with you before the Lord and to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you and I will not stop praying for you. You can count on me. That's just not lip service. I'm going to pray for you. So hear me as we close. If you are struggling with depending upon yourself, please stop. Man, because Satan is going to pick you apart. Man, you need God. Fall upon His grace and His mercy this morning. Cry out for forgiveness. Look to Him and say, Jesus, will you help me? And then stop being self-centered in your prayers. Start praying for others and allow other people to pray for you. Let's begin to pray for His will to be done. Let's start being other-focused. Let's start being the church that Jesus wants us to be, where we're walking with our fellow saints, where we're walking with our fellow soldiers, and where we are praying fervently for them. Let me ask you one last time. What would it look like if every member at Northside was prayed for every single day? What would that look like if you, starting today, systematically begin to pray for the individuals of Northside? Not just your Sunday school class, not just your small group, not just the kids you teach. Yes and amen, keep doing that. But that we begin to pray for every single member in this church. What would it look like this morning for you, brothers and sisters, if you would just be honest and say, hey, I'm struggling and I need to seek somebody out who can walk with me in the midst of that. What would that look like? Will you this morning humble yourself Will you look to Jesus? Will you keep your eyes on Jesus? And will you pray, pray, pray? Don't stop praying. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Just a moment. We're going to sing a song together. We 
try to end our services with a song. We want to, after the message, we want to have one more opportunity where we lift up our praises to the Lord. But this is also an opportunity for you to come. The altar is open. We have steps up here. I know it maybe isn't easy for you to get down. I get that. But if you are able and you need prayer this morning, would you just take somebody by the hand? You don't have to get into details right now. Just take somebody by the hand and say, hey, will you come pray with me? And this week, if somebody reaches out to you through a text message, through a phone call, through an email, or my goodness, you get snail mail. And they say, pray for me. Will you be faithful to pray right then for them? Not just once, but to keep praying for them because we are in this together. We are in a war. Don't fight this alone. Your victory comes only through Jesus. But let your brothers and sisters help hold you up and help carry those burdens with you and for you. Father, as we prepare to sing this final song, Lord, this song of, of invitation, this song of commitment, this song of praise, this song of repentance if it needs to be, maybe a song of salvation where somebody confesses their sins and gives their life to Jesus because they come to the point this morning where they realize they cannot do this on their own any longer. They can't save themselves. They're lost and hopeless and empty. And only Christ, as we've seen through the physical testimony of baptism, through Barbara's testimony, through Carol's word of testimony and praise that maybe they've seen this morning, that Jesus, it is only because of you, and they want to cast themselves upon you. Father, as we sing, receive the glory and the honor. If any decision needs to be made, lead your people to make that decision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand and let's worship together.
Jesus, that is our desire. It's your great name. That we would praise your great name. God, in the stillness of this moment, before, God, we take a moment to rejoice and, and celebrate. God, if there's anybody who felt the Spirit of God moving in their heart, but once again resisted it. Once again, Jesus, they said no to you. Oh, Spirit of God, will you still move? Give them another chance. Draw them to yourself. Draw them to yourself. Lord, anyone who in that moment chose not to confess their sin or chose not to depend upon you, oh, Spirit of God, continue to draw them to yourself. Bring them to their knees to a breaking point. Bring them flat on their back where the only way that they can look up is you and may they cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. Oh, Father, we turn to you. We praise you for being the only one who can save. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You all may be seated. I want to take a moment and let us rejoice together as the, the body of Christ. If you will come up here. So this is, this is Maya. And then we have Ethan and Jamie. So Maya and I had a chance to talk, I don't know, several months ago. She came to me and said, hey, I've been talking to my mom and dad about being a follower of Christ and what that looks like and then following him in, in believer's baptism. And somebody asked me a question this past week, and I just want to share my heart with you. It is not my goal as a pastor to try to manipulate any child into giving their life to Jesus Christ. We, we could do that. We've had a lot of kids come to me, and, and when they come to me, it is just to, for me to try to examine their heart, to ask them questions, to make sure that they understand what it means to follow Jesus. And, and Maya did, and it was clear that she had given her life to Jesus, and she wants to follow him in baptism. So will you rejoice in that decision with her? Amen. And so next Sunday... We get to do another baptism, and so we'll, we'll baptize Maya next week. And so just a reminder, anytime somebody comes forward, whether they're a kid or an adult, once they give their life to Jesus, right, they're part of what we're doing here. It's our responsibility to come alongside them as parents and to say, hey, you're not alone in this. We're, we're here to help you to disciple her heart so she becomes more like Jesus. So will you let her know one more time how excited you are for that decision? All right, if you all want to sit right there for me. If you'll just sit right there. Just like last week with Kayla, before you leave, if you will just come by and just share your excitement and enthusiasm um, with Maya and that decision to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to encourage you to please look over the bulletin. There's a lot of announcements. I'm not going to mention any of those because there's two things that I want you to be in prayer about this week. We talked about prayer. One, I'm going to put her on the spot. Uh, Miss Katie leaves. Are you leaving tomorrow? Hey, where are you going? England. So she's going over there. You're going to be gone several months by doing some school over there. So she leaves tomorrow. So if you'll be in prayer for her uh, for the next several months. And then also our secretary, Miss Kim, uh, is having surgery on Friday. Um, it's not a hip replacement, but she's had a lot of issues and pain with her hip for a while. Done the rehab, trying to put this off. So they're going to go in and try to repair some things and fix it. And so she will be out of the office for probably a couple weeks. Um, so Gary and I, we, we've got a plan. We're going to handle some things, and she's been super help, super helpful in that. Um, I do think maybe after the first week, she'll check her emails from home. So if you email her and you don't hear back, it's because she's recovering from surgery. But the main reason I share that 
is to be praying for her. Uh, Kim does an incredible job. Many of you know her. She does a great job of remembering faces um, and, and names. And so if you will just this week, specifically on Friday, pray for her and then for that healing process. Uh, the deacon of the week is Ron, and he's actually going to come forward, close us in prayer, but also pray specifically for uh, Miss Kim as she has surgery on Friday. So if you will please stand. Don't forget to check your bulletins. we got normal activities tonight, so we will see you tonight. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this family of faith. We offer Kim to you because we trust you. You're the great healer. You love her more than we do. We know what you'll do with her. It will be best. You've never made a mistake and you've never let us down. We love you, Father, and we trust you with those that we love. We want to thank you for the opportunity to just come and worship, to spend time at your feet, to hear our teachers, to hear our pastor, to sing great songs, and to watch you work in the lives of those that are around us. You're available to us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you don't leave us, you never forsake us, and you're always with us. The other thing you've given us is people that love us and care about us, and that we can pray for every day, and they will pray for us every day. And we'll spend our time together in your presence, learning from you and loving on them. Be with us as we go out into the street, that we meet people that haven't had the opportunities that we've had that don't know you as Lord and Savior, and teach us how to be loving and gracious and kind and sharing with the great gifts that you've given us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.